This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff's away. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. And the show goes on. It was an interesting day yesterday. It was a long day. Holy smokes. And I was not down at the Ford Performance Center having to deal with all that. I was just at home. And it was a long day for me. I can't imagine what it was like for the people down at the Ford Performance Center waiting for to hear from players, waiting to hear from Sheldon Keefe, and waiting to hear from Kyle Dubas. What a day. Do we have Mike on the line there, Lance? Okay, there he is. Speaking of guys that were down there, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. Z, did you get enough sleep after yesterday? Because that was a that was a full work day for you. Well, thanks for having me on, Maddie. And uh, do you mean during the time <laughs> that we were waiting? Um, but I'll tell you one thing. Anybody that might have been dozing off between interviews uh, certainly got woken up by the bombshell that Kyle Dubas drops. I don't think any of us really expected that. And, you know, he delivered that in a statement. And it was, look, he was emotional, okay? Uh, I've seen some as there is always want to be some conspiracy theories out on social media that this was, you know, Kyle's trying to get more money out of them and yada, yada, yada. Look, I know this guy well enough, okay? Um, He's a good person. No matter what you think about him as a general manager, he's a good person, a good family man. You could see the emotions going through him. Uh, when he was telling us about how he had to confer with his family. So um, in that regard, that's as emotional as I've I've seen Kyle. And uh, this is a real thing. And, you know, uh, more than anything, more than the direction of of, uh, where the team is going to go, who's going to be calling the shots, um, we just wish Kyle and his family all the best and we'll go from there. Yeah, I totally agree. I was, I was stunned by that. I mean, it's funny because in sports we ask for honesty and we ask for emotion and we got it yesterday and some people still managed to turn it into something like that was raw from Kyle Dubas and, and listening to that, I, I felt that like it, it made me, it makes you think about your, your own existence at times. And so uh, I'm I'm wishing Kyle all the best. I, I've always thought that Kyle was going to come back, especially after they won the first round. I think there's going to be changes. But what aside from aside from the emotion, what was the biggest takeaway from his avail when talking about this hockey team? I get the sense, and, and you saw it when he said, you know, maybe we have to get off the, you know, be a little more flexible in our philosophy and the fact that he said he would do anything, which includes the core four to make this a better team. But just Maddie, the the narrative and the vibe in that building yesterday, and especially when you're listening to Kyle and you're watching the way that he's delivering the answers, because, you know, um, a lot of times there's body language in it as well. I get the impression that, you know what, in, in, in previous years, they had had a hope uh, when they go into the playoffs that they could win the Stanley Cup. And they knew, uh, you know, don't get me wrong by that, they knew that they had a competitive team led by the core four. You know, watching his reaction yesterday, I think that this, this year was different. This year there was an expectation, Okay. It was like, here, I went and got Luke Shem. I went and got Ryan O'Reilly. I got Noel Achari and and yada, yada, yada. To fit into and try to piece together things and and elements that this team uh, did not have. Then you couple that with the fact that Boston eliminated, Colorado eliminated, Tampa eliminated, albeit by the Leafs. And you're, you're kind of looking ahead. And I look, at, when I say this, this is no disrespect to Carolina. It's no disrespect to Florida in the least. But when you look at some of the teams, okay, Tampa, uh, you know, been to the final three straight times. Boston, we know their record performance. Uh, a team like Colorado on the other side, um, 
you know, defending, defending Stanley Cup champions. The New York Rangers and all the, all the additions that they made at the trade deadline, you had to look at the road ahead and say, if we play up to our potential, this is a real opportunity to go deep. And I just think that, you know, like I said, the vibe in the narrative yesterday was very disappointed and maybe like a little bit, I don't know if anger is the right word, but very irked. And there wasn't the support, you know, um, for the core four or, or, or some of the some of the people around the team that maybe as strongly as it had been in years past. And that's Maddie. That's why that's why I think, you know, um, there's so much in the air. I mean, we don't even know if Kyle's going to be there or wants to be there to the guy that makes a lot of these decisions, but. I just get the I just get the feeling through the organization that they really thought that this of all the years this was it. And the fact that, you know, and he mentioned it, seven consecutive games with two goals. Well, you know, he, you're paying a lot of guys to score goals and they didn't. And I think that's that that is part and parcel that that's part of the disappointment that's in that organization. Mike Zeiser, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com joining Matt Marquis. It's been a long morning, Zeis. Um, oh, yeah. And so it's funny that you mentioned that because the first thing that kind of came to my mind when I'm watching this and listening to it yesterday was Kyle Dubas in years past has been shoulder to shoulder with Brendan Shanahan at these postseason press conferences. We've seen him give a glowing review of the coach. We've seen him talk highly of the core players. And that didn't happen this time around. So if he is back, it really does lead me to believe. Like, I believe it this time when I see that change is going to be made. Because I saw a shift in philosophy in how this team should be structured at the trade deadline. When he went out and got Ryan O'Reilly, when he went out and got Nola Charlie, like you mentioned, Luke Shen, Lafferty, McCabe. Like, there was a shift in philosophy. And maybe... He's finally learned that you can't win a certain way, but there is a way that you can win having your star players, but also needing some extra jam with these other guys. My only thing is, is that maybe it was just realized a little bit too late and maybe it should have been, you know, a progressive change as opposed to such a drastic one so quickly. Yeah. I I mean, you, you, you do have a point there, but the bottom line is, I mean, they've been good enough to get to these, seventh in deciding games or yep. against Columbus fifth in deciding games. So they've been good, good enough to get to that point. Um, but they can never get over the hump. And so he addressed this yesterday as well, that when they went, you know, he said the fact that, you know, a lot of people said, well, we got, we, we got past that first round. We got that monkey, that King Kong off our back. We've won our first series in 19 years. It should be easier. And Kyle said, no, we're not going in there to win one series. We're looking to win ultimately four, but as deep as you can go. So, um, yeah, Maddie, I, I, I think that they, they thought that. But, you know, to the point of the disappointment of the organization, you know, we talk, we, you know, there's been a lot of talk about they were one in five at home. What about, you know, the fact that in 11 playoff games, they won two in regulation. One was game four against Florida, two to one, um, which went right down to the end. The other one was game two where they put a thumping on Tampa uh, in the first round, uh, seven to two. So other than that game two, and let me throw this at you. Did we see this Toronto Maple Leafs team and I'm not saying play at their ceiling, but anywhere near their ceiling. No and chance. I think the, the I think the thought going through the organization is no. And why didn't we? Yeah, I I agree. I they were I thought they were the second best team in their series against Tampa, and it turns out that even in the series against Florida, I thought there were stretches where they were the better team. But you know, in, yep. in elimination games, like I, I made this point to Jeff off the air yesterday the amount of urgency that I saw in Edmonton being down in an elimination game was insanely different than what I saw in, you know, in important games in Toronto series with Florida, like that game three, 
they, it was a dud. Their best line was their fourth line, and that shouldn't happen. Um, which I guess leads me to my next question is I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out if there is an avenue where Sheldon Keefe is still the coach of this team and one of the core guys is traded. Because I know we talk about, you know, players get the benefit of the doubt of developing and and I understand that they get paid on a different scale than a lot of coaches, but you know, there's there's a development for guys like Mitch Marner and William Nylander and Austin Matthews that they need to learn in the playoffs and the game is different and all that. Coaches don't get that same sort of leeway. Is there a chance that Sheldon Keefe, I mean, there's always a chance, but is there like even a 50-50 chance that Sheldon Keefe is the coach of this team going into next season? Well, you know what? And not meaning to sit on the fence here, Matty, because you know that I, I do that very rarely, but... Um, how do you, how can you even, you know, it's difficult for me to answer that question because we don't know who's going to be making the decision. Okay. So if it's Kyle, if it's Kyle, that that's probably yeah, how I, I should have prefaced I, I, it. I, I think there is, I think there is a chance um, that Sheldon would be back, but I, I do think that their relationship, I don't want to say changes, but I think there would be different asks or demands. Um, you know, on the two of them. Uh, the fascinating thing for me is when you talk about the core four is there's been so many, you know, everybody thinks this is fantasy hockey. So some of the stuff you read out there is kind of funny. Like, you know, we'll trade Nylander, Marner, and Matthews for Dreisaitl and McDavid. Well, you know, first of all, you need a willing partner on the other end. So that ain't happening. Um, but I just wonder, you know, if, if Sheldon, does, assuming if, if Sheldon were to come back, uh, where do you go? I mean, uh, who, which which guy gets moved? Um, you know, and how much how much of a say? You know, Austin Matthews, uh, as we know, uh, they can start negotiating on an extension July first. He said he wants to be back. How much does he dictate? and tell them, you know what, uh, yeah, I'll uh, sign an extension with you, but you have to bring so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so back because I think that they have the best chance to, to win. So I think, you know, when we talk about whether Keith is back or, or the core four is back, that Austin Matthews holds a pretty important hammer in the direction that this team goes moving forward. Yeah, I, for me, I don't think that that, I, like, I think Austin Matthews signs a deal. I think it's probably like a three-year deal, maybe four, but it's yep. probably closer to three. And I, I think that when you look at it, and it's not because I, I dislike either player, because they both bring intangibles that other players in the league don't, but I don't think you can move John Tavares' contract, so that one is not even a part of the conversation. And it's going to boil down to if you move either Nylander or Marner, and you could make the argument, I don't even think there's an argument, you would get more for Mitch Marner that probably keeps you more competitive right now than moving William Nylander because Marner has term. He's also one of the best two-way players in the league that puts up basically 100 points the last two seasons. So I wonder if that's the guy, but I also, you know, you made a good point there. Does Austin Matthews say, I'm not coming back if Mitch Marner's not back? Like, that's a really, really intriguing proposition. Well, yeah, and I, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I know Mitch gets a lot of uh, criticism in town, and, and you look at the numbers and stuff like that, and, and you know, he'd be the first to say that, that you know, uh, in that in that series, he could have been better, but they all, they all could have been better. Um, you know, personally, and this is just, I, I'm a Mitch fan, I like the fact that he's from here, and it means something to him to wear that jersey. Um you know, uh, he kills penalties. Uh, we know the numbers that he puts up, and it's, it's that whole playoff thing. Um, I think he's a very valuable player, and he's a very valuable asset, as you mentioned. But, you know, people got to understand, okay, uh, when they see, uh, you know, they look and see uh, how Florida got Kachuk. Well, Kachuk kind of orchestrated that whole thing as to where he wanted to go. Um and it's hard to get equal value when you're trading for a star player. And, 
you know, uh, I, I think John, Jonathan Huberto is a hell of a player uh, with Calgary now, and he can be, um, you know, I think he'll find his legs and get that point total up. But it's very, very difficult when you trade a commodity like that. Uh, and I know some people have, have pointed out that Jack Eichel trade to me, and yes, although Jack Eichel's doing pretty good in Vegas right now. Uh, I know we talk about the return in Buffalo, but you better get something. You better get something of note if you're going to trade a, a player like that, and more importantly, a guy that really wants to be here because I think that's important. Yeah, that is a career-defining trade if you pull one of those off, and if it's good or bad. It could really tell a story about the rest of the way for you as a general manager. Uh, listen, Mike, thank you very much, as always, for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. And it was wonderful to see you on Friday. It was. And you know what? I know you felt bad because you showed up at the game and said, I just eliminated them. Well, <laughs> you know what, my friend? There were four other games that you weren't at in the playoffs that they lost. So uh, I can formally say on the air, it wasn't you. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, other people aren't saying the same thing, though. So I appreciate the kind words. Uh, Mike, thanks as always, pal. Really appreciate it. Talk soon and uh, take care. Thanks for having me on, Matty. There he goes. Mike Zeisberger from NHL. Dot com. One of the good people in this business. No, Mike, a long time. Fantastic. Um, the Austin Matthews thing is just really interesting for me in that he does hold all the cards and he's not going to sign an eight-year deal. For anybody that thinks that he is, he's not. He's going to maximize the money that he makes as a free agent. Because remember, if you sign him to a, a long-term deal, you're going to have to buy free agency years too. And that costs you a lot more money. And with cap uncertainty... Probably not a road you want to go down. But the Toronto Maple Leafs are now, and I know people are going to say it's because you're in Toronto. The Toronto Maple Leafs are the most interesting story this offseason. Somebody's going to move. There will be change. There will be change here too. We're going to change guys. Jonathan Davis, host of the Ice Cap on NHL Network Radio and the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. We're going to look at the conference final all around. Dallas, Vegas, Carolina, Florida. We'll also talk a little bit about the Oilers, what happens there. Maybe chat a little bit about the Maple Leafs. And then Brian Ray at the bottom of the next hour. We'll talk to him. Dallas Stars host and analyst for Bally Sports. That's all coming up. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two. Jeff Merrick Show live. Somebody tell my wife I'm on the air. She should know better than that. Just waiting to connect with Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio, host of the Ice Cap, and show me the money, the hockey betting podcast, which is fantastic. Jonathan has absolutely great information. I was also supposed to send him a link to join the show, and apparently he didn't get it. Hotmail servers. How dare they? All right, the final four is set. Conference finals, Stanley Cup playoffs. Last night, Dallas beating the Seattle Kraken, ending that, I don't want to call it a Cinderella run, but it was pretty close. I mean, can you call it a Cinderella run if you only get to two rounds? I mean, they did get to game seven. Interesting. Very curious to see what they do this offseason. And the aforementioned Jonathan Davis joins me now on the line. Okay, J.D., honestly, I sent you the thing. I blame the hotmail service. You did. No, no, no. You did, and I just it got buried in my junk. I'm looking at it now, and I feel like an idiot. Oh, no, no, don't, because apparently my emails are just junk. So, see, I blame the hotmail <laughs> servers. They have to know that I'm more important than that. They have to. I need to upgrade to, I got to upgrade to, like, Gmail, or I got to get into, like, you know, Whatever. No, don't worry. I still have a Hotmail account. (laughs) I still have one. I've had that for years. Don't worry about it. We're both in the same. We're both in the same uh, area code there. Um, Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit. Okay, actually, before we get to any of the on ice hockey stuff, I wanted to ask you this because you live in LA, um, and and it's a warm weather climate. I'm very jealous. But the four remaining teams are all warm weather teams, which Gary Bettman has to be smiling about in some ways. But how do you view this? Good for the game because it, re- it reaches non-traditional hockey markets, especially with the new TV deal 
in the United States or bad because there's only one real revenue generator in that group, and that's Vegas, which in turn doesn't really move the needle and doesn't really help with uh, moving the salary cap in the right direction. Well, I, I think that both can be, both can be true, uh, you know, for the reasons that you point out. Uh, look, Seattle would have been fantastic if, if they were able to beat Dallas. I think that would have really helped things. Um, but, you know, uh, no, I don't, you know, yeah, I, I think we're, you know, we're, we're not going to see the eyeballs that we potentially would have seen if we had some different markets in it. And I, you know, I, I listened to the conversation from Elliot and Jeff yesterday and, and just saying, you know, if, if we're not getting eyeballs, you know, because of you know what teams are in there, then you don't have a league. But I disagree because I, it's true in any sport. Like the NBA, you know, they they don't want, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks aren't aren't helping ratings. Like they're just not. So I, I get it. But it is look, it's good for 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 building up hockey on a grassroots level. Uh, my, my son played hockey tournaments in Dallas you know, over the years. The quality of hockey of youth hockey out there is off the charts. So the game is growing. Um, it just may not be seen in the TV ratings if, you know, with these four teams. What we do know is that for the Stanley Cup final, Buffalo is going to be one of the highest rated TV markets because that yeah. happens every single year. It would be wonderful if they could ever get to a cup final because I'd love to see what the numbers are at that point. But oh. I, I agree with, with you in that the the sport is growing across the country in the United States. Like Jeff always talks about, you know, the there's – the tournaments in Nashville, there's the tournaments in, in Miami and, and all over the place. And now Vegas is, is starting to become a little bit of a hockey market. And not to mention LA and the junior Kings organization that they have is very, very impressive. So I, I agree. It's maybe not coming out in the TV numbers, but certainly the growth of the sport hasn't been hurt by all of these teams having some success. Um, wanted to, to get your take on, on Vegas here. So we'll get into Dallas and, and maybe a little bit of Seattle, but Vegas, they get to the conference final last year. You know, they were so hammered by injuries, whether it be Mark stone or go down the list. I mean, it was a, it was a laundry list of players and now they're in it. They have Jack Eichel. And, and that's where I kind of wanted to focus my attention on because there was a stretch where Jack Eichel looked a little lost in Vegas and then the playoffs come around and basically 10 games before the playoffs started, he was really turning a corner. And now we've seen Jack Eichel and he looks like the player that we saw before the surgery. And, and dare I say, maybe even a little bit better because he's got a well, a more well-rounded game under Bruce Cassidy. Absolutely. I mean, this is what, you know, <laughs> the golden Knights said, no, this is what they had needed. They needed a guy you know, to carry the load. And we saw it in round two, you know, all eyes focused on Connor and Leon, but here's Jack Eichel with multi-point games and what in four, four of the six. And so it, it's, you know, that that's one thing that Vegas hasn't had in, 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 in previous years, even the year they went to the, the final. I mean, you, the misfits were great, but they just didn't have that one guy that could help propel them. And it hurt them in years past. You know, you, you look at coming into this, this series against, uh, against the Edmonton Oilers, they only had 10 guys that had scored a goal. But then, you know, they get uh, five from Marcia so and two from Riley Smith uh, and one from Nick Hague. And, you know, the balance is, 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 has been fantastic. And, you know, the other thing that they've done all year is they protected their goalies, all five of their goalies. They, they did a great job at, blo at, at shot blocking. But here it was in game six. And, you know, the saves that Aiden Hill made in the third period against Ekholm and, and Evander Kane late in that game to, to keep it, a four two, uh, you know, they're everything's working for them right now, and it's a it's a true testament to to what Cassidy has done. And hey, look, they they bought into the system, and and guys are really excelling, and and we are seeing uh, something special from Jack Eichel. I mentioned this to to Elliot in the in the first block today was, you know, look at the immediate success that Pete DeBoer has had almost across the board, wherever he's gone. I mean, he didn't have it in, he had immediate success in Florida, but he went to the conference final with Jersey in his first year, went to the conference final with the sharks in his first year, went to the conference final in Dallas this year in his first year, Bruce Cassidy's having that same effect with Vegas. And I, I do wonder, like, I know there is a shelf life for coaches that maybe demand a little bit more, but there's something to be said about, you know, even in a place like, and and I, I don't want to make this a Toronto-centric thing, but 
maybe a new coach who comes in with a lot of experience and has had success at this level is exactly what some teams need. It may only be for one year, but if you can catch lightning in a bottle, get to a cup final, anything can happen. And I do wonder about that conversation. Look at, I mean, Jim Montgomery didn't have the the success in the playoffs, but look at the regular season that he had. So I, I do wonder about that conversation and teams may be looking at it and going, well, hold on a second. Maybe we do need a change and, and we can catch lightning in a bottle pretty quickly here. All right. Well, I'll turn it to the Toronto side of things and why I think the argument is small. I think that, um, like Elliot, I, I have a motorcycle passing me. He had the garbage truck. Um, <laughs> you know, in the Toronto case, I think it's all about DNA, and I don't think that it, I don't think that the core four, or at least Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, have the right DNA to be successful. You you know you don't you need guys that hate to lose more than they enjoy to win, and I think that you've got that with with the with the four remaining teams. Matthew Kachuk would you know would beat up his mother to win the Stanley Cup. You know you saw what you know Petro and Jack Eichel. Uh, those are guys that will run, run over you and not go around you. Joe Pavelski in Dallas, you know, pick your pick any player in Carolina. So I think a lot of it is roster composition about what what is really what helps make these teams or put these teams in this situation to be in the Final Four. It's a you know look we know it's a different game come playoff time and and they've got the right makeup with these four teams. So Aiden Hill is going to be the guy going forward. I mean, we're we're not expecting to see Brassois. Where I I don't think that we're going to see any Jonathan Quick here, especially the way Aiden Hill played no. to close out that series against the Oilers. I think he made thirty eight saves in the closeout game, or thirty six saves, one of the two. But thirty nine, thirty nine. Okay, so I was close. Uh, Price is right rules. Price is right rules. Um, I did not go over. Um, but this is a totally different series against the Dallas Stars. And Jake Ottinger in in games five to seven, uh, Brian Ray, my next guest, put this out there. His his goals against average is 1.97, and his save percentage is like 942 in games five to seven as a playoff starter. This is a totally different matchup, but the way Vegas is playing right now, it really does feel like it may come down to the goalies. Yeah, it may. And I don't know. Uh, I don't think. Matt, that you know that Jake Ottinger can get pulled twice in this series, and they can win again. I, I just I, I don't see that happening. You know, uh, do it once maybe, but uh, here you know later we go. Uh, he's you know he, he, he can't he, he can't put this team in a situation. He can't have two gimmies. Like he just you can't afford it. He, they they in, on paper have the better goalie. There's no question about it. I mean they do, um, but it, it's really more about styles. You know, these two teams played three times during the regular season. Dallas won all three, but two of them were in a shootout, and, and they were all, I think they were 2-1 and 3-2 games in a shootout. So, you know, the history this season has been tight, and really the history between these two teams, you know, I think it's the last seven games between these two teams. We haven't seen more than five goals. So I think we're, you know, if history repeats, we're going to see some low-scoring hockey. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Vegas has been disrespected, I think, in some ways throughout the playoffs. Uh, they're, uh, I don't know. It, it's really hard for me to say which, you know, if I had to make a pick, um, you know, being the betting guy that I am, I will say that I have, I have Rupe Hints at 50 to 1 and Joe Pavelski at 80 to 1 for the con Smythe. Oh, man. Kind of hard to bet. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I'm jealous. Those are all pre, pre-playoff flops that, you know, you know, I bet those before the playoffs started. But it's just so hard right now to go against Vegas. Um, I, I don't know. They, they just they don't beat themselves. And I would say, Matt, in years past, they have beaten themselves. Yeah, they have. Or they've been hurt. Like, that's the other yeah. – like, they're healthy. I mean, as, as healthy as you can probably be at this point in the season. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a rumor going around, and I don't know if it's, if it's false. It, it, I like conspiracy theories. But the conspiracy theory is that Alex Petrangelo was not going to play in the game after he slashed, so that would have been game five. He was not going to play in game five regardless of the result. And that's why he took the stick to Leon Dreisaitl because he's banged up. I love the theory. I don't love the action. But they're as healthy as they're going to be at this point in the season. I'm sure Mark Stone is still banged up. I don't think he fully recovered from that back injury. But 
it's, you know, Jack Eichel's going, Alex Petrangelo's going. And then they've got the other guys like that are still producing, like Jonathan Marshall, as you said, had a really good uh, round against the Oilers with five goals. Three of them came all in the same game. And then you've got like William Carlson and, and you've got guys like Nick Waugh who's still playing well. They have as much depth as the Dallas stars do. And I think that's why this is going to be a really, really tight series. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised if this goes seven. No. And I, and from also from Dallas's standpoint, can they really go another round without Jason Robertson scoring? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's tough. Now going back to your conspiracy theory. Yes. Uh, Petro's lucky. You know, he, he, he may have thought he was only going to get one. I mean, he's lucky that he only got one. If I he thought was, it was more. Was he also planning on, Right. I, was he also? He, I guess he wasn't thinking that he was going to miss Game Six as well. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. think but, so either. But that was nasty. Yeah. Like that was. I'm like, in the regular season, that's like six games. That's what I think anyway. Yeah. And and I thought yeah. I thought he definitely got away with one. Uh, Jonathan Davis hosted the Ice Cap on NHL Network Radio and the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. Okay, let's flip over to the East because. I know a lot of people are kind of just shaking their head at this matchup. It's the, you know, for, two former Southeast division rivals. I mean, rivals I'm using very loosely, but Carolina has gotten here without Svechnikov and Pacioretty and Tara Vinen and Florida, pardon the pun, clawed their way into the playoffs and have basically been playing playoff hockey since January I think it's very interesting how both of these teams are built. I think when you look at it, they're both very tough to play against as they've proven in these playoffs and their coaches have a little bit of something in common in that Paul Maurice used to coach Rod Brindamore and they're both excellent and can play in the moment. And I think that this series is as much as Carolina just waxed um, New Jersey in their series. Again, I think that this series is a lot closer than maybe people give credit for. Only, only, only if Sergei Bobrovsky continue to, can continue to not be a pumpkin. Well, but wouldn't you all, I mean, are you not surprised that Freddie Anderson, like if I told you Freddie Anderson was 5-0 and in his last six starts with a goals against average of under two and a save percentage, what, like the 930s? Like I, I would have said, Matt, you're crazy. Like, come on. Yes, That's but, yes, but. Yeah. I think it's just the way that Carolina plays. They're so good defensively that, that they just don't give up a lot of really high quality chances. And I think that's where the only difference that I would contend with. Yeah, I would say, but I still still think Freddie's played better than I think most that have watched Freddie over the years. Sure. Um, So look, I think these two, these two teams are, uh, they're mirror images of each other. Um, the, The one difference is for me is that Florida has more, offensive punch than Carolina does. Now, I think what Teravine is, will play this round. Uh, I think so. Is, yeah. And so, look, that, that, that definitely that, that changes things. It's, the other thing that's interesting with this series, Matt, is, is the battle of the Stahl brothers. I mean, it's not like the Kelsey brothers in the Super Bowl. I mean, these three guys could easily be on the ice with each other uh, at the same time. And that, that, that's just another, you know, another bit of intrigue. I, you know, for me, it's a coin flip of, of who wins this one as well. Uh, I think, I think Florida's having a little more offense and, and care, you know, so I, I like Florida in the series, but it, it's, it's really in, in many cases for Carolina's situation, it's, it's been will over skill and sometimes will can absolutely beat skill. And so I, I think it's going to be a fun series to watch. It, it doesn't have the, the sexiness of, of other playoff series that we've, we've been watching so far. But I think if you, if you really sit down and watch it, you're going to be entertained. I think it's, it's going to be nasty. Yeah. I think it's also going to be a little bit high, more high scoring than people may think because the, the Florida series with the Leafs was not very high scoring at all. Carolina put together a ton of goals, but that's because New Jersey's Coley's couldn't stop a beach ball, generally speaking throughout the series. But I also think that these are two teams that really get in hard on the four check and that was one thing that when Toronto did it against Florida, they created a little bit of havoc. And I think that's where Carolina can succeed here. And then when Florida has to open it up, like you mentioned, they have the offensive players that can, they can skate with you. They can score with you. I think it's kind of low key, a high scoring series. And when we talked about the goalies, this feels like one that could have multiple goaltending changes just because of that fact. It, yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, yeah, I, to your point, both these teams do forecheck 
very well and create opportunities because of it. So, yeah, I, I think we, we, we could we could see games that, uh, you know, from a betting standpoint, I, I think we're hitting at least six in, in most of these games. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. Okay, let, let's focus a little bit on um, what happened in the West with Seattle. So they had a great season, better than anyone could have expected. They have this, I don't want to call it a deep playoff run, but they were they were one game away from the conference finals, and nobody saw nobody saw them making the playoffs, let alone getting to one within one game of the conference finals. And there's some there's some conversation here about how to build a roster. The fact that they got to that point without having a quote-unquote star opens up the conversation of how can you build a roster with a lot of very uh, good to very good players and not having a star? Is that something that can have sustained success over the course of a playoff? Can it get you to a conference final? Is it just a matter of time here for Seattle and this group can push through? Or do you still think that they need some star power in order to kind of push them to that next level? Well, I mean, they do have a guy that scored 40 goals this year. That's true. Used to play in, in Toronto. Uh, former Leaf, former uh, Leaf great Jared McCann. It was yeah. Jared McCann or Alex Kerfoot, just for anybody out there that was wondering. Right. Um, you know, look, here's the thing. Seattle, uh, they don't have any bad contracts. Uh, yep. It's, you know, and, and their their theory was is that, you know, no one played less than 10 minutes a night. Uh, do you need a star? Um, I mean, look, they had more five-on-five goals in the regular season than any other team in the NHL. So I don't I, – I think the bigger thing, Matty, is that you, you just – you can't have – you can't be laced with a bunch of bad contracts or you can't be so top-heavy, you know, Toronto, um, that it, it makes it challenging to build the rest of your roster. So it's worked in Seattle. Uh, you know, look, Vegas has had a different approach. Um, you know, they've gone out and bought some nice shiny toys to help supplement things. But I, I don't see why the Seattle model can't work. It wouldn't, you know, would it hurt for them to be able to add a marquee player? Absolutely not. Um, so is it, I, I don't see why it's not sustainable. Um, they're, you know, everybody feels like they're a part of it. And, you know, when you've got Jeff's favorite hockey player, you know, and Daniel Sprong, you know, having the year that he did and, you know, what, scored over 20 goals and only played 11 minutes a night. I think he was 11th amongst forwards on that team. Yeah. You know, they have, they have found a way to make it work. So I don't know if there's any one method that, may, you know, is, is better than another, but there's no question the way Seattle approached things with the roster that they had that it works. So I, I, I don't know if they, if they have to, but they're not going to, I don't necessarily think they turn down the opportunity if, you know, said marquee player becomes available. Yeah, I, I was I was outlining um, Ron Francis's free agent history, like the 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 most expensive deal that he signed. I think was a seven year deal with Jacob Slavin, and that was like a shade over thirty seven million dollars. So that's the Ron Francis mo. He does not sign bad contracts, generally speaking. Yeah. And and I do wonder about how things progress here because there's going to be like there's a Matty Beneers extension that's looming. Yeah. And and you know Elliot made the point maybe they wait because and maybe Beneers camp wants to wait because the cap isn't going to go up significantly this summer, but maybe the following summer it will. And he is still an RFA, so they have time. But Ron Francis likes to get stuff done, and much like you know his counterpart in Dallas and Jim Nill. Uh, Jim Nill got deals done pretty quickly, and you can make the argument that having Jason Robertson, Miro Heiskanen, and Rope Hintz under $9 million is some of the best bit of business across the league. Well, it is, and it's very similar to, you know, to what went on in Tampa. And, you know, as Elliot pointed out, I mean, you're dealing with, you know, a no-tax state. Um, you, know, no, you know, no state taxes changes a lot of things. I mean... Look, Maddie, I, I've told you, you know, when, when we hung out, you know, a couple months ago that, you know, the idea for, for me and my family, you know, me and my wife to move to Vegas, you know, you know, long enough during the year so we can declare it as our primary residence, it's because there's no state tax and, and not that Vegas is the bad spot to be. But, I mean, it's, it's why players want to be in Vegas and Dallas and Florida, uh, because and, and why GMs can take advantage of that because yeah I can pay a guy less because there's no state taxes it's 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 a huge benefit. 
Yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things, and it's and nothing's going to change. I mean, we we know that. Um, but if you can take advantage of it, you absolutely should. And maybe we're going to see more of these teams in the cup final or in the conference final going forward just because it is an advantage and they're finally exploiting it. It also helps when you win. Like when you have good players, it, it, it makes a big difference. Like, you know, Atlanta... Atlanta's a warm weather climate, and I know their tax situation is a little bit different, but nobody wanted to go play there. Ilya Kovalchuk didn't want to stay there. We know that. So yeah. there's there's conversations to be had there. Um, just to, so that, Maddie, I do want to just, yeah. I just want to back up on Vegas because there was a narrative during the year, or maybe at the beginning of the year. You know, Vegas was taking you know a lot of shots because people felt the way they treated players and jettisoned players that it wasn't a place where guys wanted to be. Uh, you know, that narr- I haven't heard that narrative for, for the last couple of months, but I definitely heard it at the beginning of the season. Yeah, when they uh, a, season, a season or beginning of the season after they didn't make the playoffs. Very interesting how yeah. that works when you don't win, how people start to complain. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't yeah. love what they did either, but we also all understand that this is a business. And Bill Foley is in the business of trying to win a Stanley Cup, and he is as cutthroat of an owner as is out there, and I commend him for that because... At the end of the day, you're trying to win, and you're going to bring in the best players. And that team has not shied away from bringing in the best players. Um, speaking of best players, before we let you go, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, they don't get past the second round, and I'm, I'm not blaming them because they were still excellent, although Leon was minus four um, in that closeout game. He was on the ice a lot, too. And owned it. And he owned it. And owned it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I give them credit for that. Now, having said all that, and Mark Spector pointed this out on the show yesterday, it's not as if they lost to, in Toronto, a wild card team. They lost to the best team in the Western Conference based on points. That would be the Vegas Golden Knights. It's not as if they were far away. They lost in seven in six games. And the, the question becomes, what do they do now? Because everybody is going to point to the goaltending. Because that was really a big question mark coming into the season. They they came into it with Stuart Skinner and they signed Jack Campbell. And both of those deals, I mean, the Skinner one is not nearly as daunting as the Campbell one. But those are going to probably be your goalies going in. So how do you make this roster better if you can't touch the goaltending? Well, oh, if you can't touch the goaltending. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, mean, I asked the hard questions here, J.D. Well, I, you know... I'm not sure because now you've got a full year with Matthias Echo back there. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, you know, that's a, that, I think that, that, that helps a lot. You've got, you know, the, 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 the words spoken by both Connor and Leon after game six elimination were along the lines of what Nathan McKinnon, you know, not, not to the same, you know, it was different, but similar message. Uh, you know, McKinnon, when they got eliminated the year before they won the cup, was we haven't won bleep yet. And Connor talked about the fact that, you know, you, you know, you learn from these things and hopefully this is the last time. And Leon talked about it being a wasted season. Those guys hate to lose more than they enjoy to win. That's what I took from it. And I think that that's, I, I think for them, this learning process is something that is invaluable and I think will help propel them. I still think, if, if I'm, if I am Ken Holland, you know, number 37 in Winnipeg, I don't think he's sticking around. If I can find a way to get him or someone along that line, I'm trying to see if, 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 if that's, if that's what you can do. Because really, you know, when you look at game six to me, okay, the first goal I put on Stuart Skinner, but Jonathan Marcheseau scored a goal when he was, you know, a puck bounces off Skinner and it's landed in the crease and Marcheseau ordered three copies before he <laughs> scored the goal. You know, he had another goal that bounced off uh, an Oilers defenseman and he had a, a yawning cage to put in, put it into. I mean, overall, you can't get pulled three times in a series and, and, and it, it's, it's part of it's on you. But, yeah, I just think that they need that stabilizing force back there. But I think a year with... You know, uh, the, the, the playoff experience that they garnered was, I think, invaluable. Now, we'll see where it goes. Compared to what we heard in, in your city, when I hear, my, I hear Austin Matthews tell me, hey, we are, you know, there are 31 teams that are going home disappointed. I'm sorry. Like, the passion that Austin was like, man, that's just him. You know, I don't want to hear 31 teams are disappointed. I don't want, you know, ask about, you know, what happened with, you know, essentially he was talking, he talked about, you know, lack of ability to score. Yeah, I had some chances. Only, 
You didn't score. I got to be better. I, I didn't hear any of that. And that's what concerns me in your city with the Maple Leafs. I didn't hear players own it and sounded like they cared. Maybe they do. I don't think they hate to lose enough yet. And until they do, I don't care what you pay Austin Matthews. I don't think you're going to win. I. It's funny because I just, I also think, and and maybe this is not entirely the case, but in a lot of cases, I think that's just part of, and I'm not trying to defend them because they didn't play well in that series, but I wonder how much of it is just the player today. Like I had somebody, I did an hour post this show yesterday in advance of Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe speaking and somebody pointed out, oh, well, they should bring in Daryl Sutter as the coach. I'm like, well, no, because these players would not respond to Daryl Sutter. So I, I think that's I think that's part and parcel what you're working with. It's just maybe some players have matured a little bit faster than others. I I don't know the answer to that, but yes, uh, if your stars play well, generally speaking, it does work out well for you. Um, JD, but, thank. But just own it. Yeah. Own it. Like it. Like like I want to hear it. I want to hear them angry like Connor and Leon. That's what that. You know, look, Connor and Leon. Jeff and I, America, and I were going back and forth yesterday. I understand Connor and Leon still haven't got to the promised land, but you can see how much it hurts. Yeah, and that's what I want to see from my my star players. I and, want to see that it hurts, and they perform in the playoffs. Like I I, I said, well, yeah. I, I did a post season. I did the post mortem on Saturday, and I said like the reason why people in Edmonton don't get mad at Connor and Leon is because when the chips are down, they're still playing well. Like yeah. Leon Leon played on one leg last year and had one of the most incredible playoffs <laughs> that we've ever seen. And when when you know Austin Matthews was asked about an injury, he says oh, and just the normal bumps and bruises. I don't know if something else is going to come out here. And he was just unwilling to use that as a crutch. But if there's no injury there, I'm sorry. There's, you need to perform plain and simple. Yeah. Um, as you always do when you come on this program, JD, thanks so much for uh, taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it, pal. Always a pleasure. Enjoy. Take care, bud. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Thanks buddy. You too. There he goes. Jonathan Davis from the NHL network radio host of the ice cap. And of course, Show Me the Money, the hockey betting podcast, which he does excellent work. If you don't follow JD on Twitter, you should, at West Coast Hockey, but it's not spelled the way that you think. Now I have to look for it because I got now that I've given him a shout-out, I should probably have had this one in there. West Coast HKY. I told you I'd get it. All right, when we come back, Dallas Stars, off to the conference final, and not a surprise because... Well, it's Pete DeBoer's first year there. Seems to have some success. Brian Ray is a host and analyst for Bally Sports and with the Dallas Stars, and he will join me next on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchesian for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here with you on the Jeff Merrick Show. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Jeff will be back on Thursday. He's off to Carolina. On assignment, as it were. We can't say for Connor Bedard tanking reasons because we know the Blackhawks have the first pick, so he's not coming here. How unfortunate. We'll say this. The final four here. Conference finals. I'm really looking forward to this because there are four very, very intriguing teams here. And one of them is the Dallas Stars. And joining me on the line right now, Dallas Stars host and analyst for Bally Sports, Brian Ray joins me. Brian, how are you today? Matt, good to talk to you, man. Thanks for bringing me on. And uh, I agree with you. This is going to be an intriguing conference final, it feels like. Yeah, and and Dallas, for me, is at the top of that list. And I'm, and I'm not saying that because you're on the line, but they, they're just such a such an intriguing team to me because they can beat you in multiple ways. And you, you should never apologize for having a great goalie, but you know, they can win with on the back of Jake Ottinger. They can, they can score now that they have a, a little bit more depth outside of that first line, which has really proven to be a, a big proponent of theirs, or they can win playing really good defensively. And I think that's the perfect combination. And all of that to me comes back to Pete DeBoer and the job that he has done. But for you, why has he been the perfect fit for this group? That's a great question. I, I You say Pete DeBoer. I, I would want to throw Jim Nill's name in there as well sure. because I think he made some, some, some very minor moves. But, but starting with Pete DeBoer, 
I think with Dallas, you have to go all the way back to the offseason. And you're transitioning from Rick Bonus, who is a grinded-out, defensive-minded, defensive-styled head coach and very good at it, into Pete DeBoer, who has had a history of a little more injection of offense. And, and Pete DeBoer from the get-go said, look, there's a foundation in place defensively and with the goaltending that we don't want to change but how do you pull more offense out of this foundation that's already been in place? And so the, the big thing for me that I think Pete DeBoer brought is beginning in training camp and, and even his introductory press conference, he spoke a lot about breakouts and, and breaking the puck out of your own zone. In, in his eyes, part, part of his mission statement is if they have speed breaking the puck out of their own zone – you already have speed through neutral ice, and you already have speed entering the offensive zone. And I think with a player like Rope Hintz, uh, especially this year, Miro Haskinen, you know, we're seeing Thomas Harley here in the playoffs. They, they added a player like Niels Lundqvist, but I think it did free up a little bit more of the offensive capabilities and the skating factor for a lot of players on this roster, uh, you know, Andy, Jamie Ben is somebody who has obviously benefited from the Pete DeBoer factor, Tyler Sagan as well. But, but I think that was the, probably the biggest injection of Pete DeBoer philosophy that I think came into this team that started to build a little bit more of an offensive punch outside of that top line, as you mentioned, and, and we're seeing it pay off. Now you mentioned the depth they've gone and they've gotten good players and they've had somebody like Wyatt Johnson show up as a rookie, but, but that philosophy, I think, has, has opened a lot of things up for this team offensively. There's a lot that I want to get into there. But when you talk about the influx and the, and the insurgence of offense with Pete DeBoer as the head coach, the one guy that really came to mind, and, and listen, the resurgences from Jamie Van and Tyler Sagan have been notable. But the one thing was everybody said, and this was from an offensive standpoint alone because we already thought he was pretty good defensively, but – the Miro Heiskin and offensive research, especially late in the year where he really started to pile up the points was notable. And that's what a lot of people said was Pete DeBoer is going to be the best thing that happened for Miro Heiskin. And, and it's not a discredit to Rick bonus because Rick bonus has had a lot of success with young defensemen in the NHL. Look no further than Victor Hedman. So it's almost as if for the evolution of Miro Heiskin, and it's been perfect to have, Rick bonus to teach you how to play defensively because that's the hardest thing for a young defenseman to do coming in. And then to have it all rounded out with Pete DeBoer and being such an offensive minded guy, it's really made Miro Heiskin in one of the best defensemen in the NHL, a spot that we all thought he could get to, but he's here now. Yeah. And, and Rick bonus did have a lot to do with Miro Heiskin. Like you need to remember when, when Miro came in, Rick Bonus was the assistant under Jim Montgomery. So Miro Haskinen at, at 19 years old, his first NHL defensive coach, if you want to look at it that way, was Rick Bonus. So he, he was already a good defender, but that, that's a heck of an influence to have right off the hop uh, with somebody like Haskinen. And, and then as for the, the offensive resurgence, yeah, it, it, it's funny for the media and, and us here in Dallas because there's also the John Klingberg factor. You know, when John Klingberg disappears, now your quarterback on power play one is gone and there's a hole there. And it was Miro Haskinen's name who gets called up of, okay, you're now the guy that needs to man the blue line on the top power play unit. And it wasn't that he was just being fed power play points, but I think Miro Haskinen's probably his best ability is his skating. And, and anybody who's watched him on a daily basis, he is one of the smoothest skaters in the league. He's one of the few players that can probably defend McDavid with his feet for as long as anybody can actually defend McDavid. But when you talk about breaking the puck out with speed, that feeds into what Miro Haskinen can do. When you talk about entering the offensive zone with speed, that also feeds into what Haskinen can do. And in, when you have somebody like Joe Pavelski, who's really good around the net front on your first power play unit, if you're all you have to do as a point man is get the puck through the first layer. And so Miro Haskinen, he really did learn how to become a distributor in a lot of different ways this season under Pete DeBoer. And I think a lot of that philosophy also fed into the natural talents 
of Haskinen. And like, you have to remember, he, he was second on the stars and assists behind Robertson, you know, as a defenseman. So the, the distribution factor, especially in the second half, like you mentioned, it seemed to really pick up for him as, as playing in Pete DeBoer's system or style of play, however you want to phrase it. When it starts to become second nature and you're just reacting all of a sudden as opposed to thinking about how things are supposed to go, that's when it clicks in and it's exactly what it did for him. Yeah, there's one thing we know about Pete DeBoer and he loves point shots. So <laughs> that, that really fit the bill yeah. for Miro Heiskanen. <laughs> uh, Brian Ray is my guest here, Dallas Stars host and analyst for Bally Sports. And um, I was told to ask you this question. So I got a message from from Mike McKenna, who you know from from your time uh, in the AHL. <laughs> and and Mike said, because we because I, I, I had Rupe Hints to talk about here because he's just such a fantastic player. But Mike said... Ask him about the series clinching goal against Rockford in the 2018 Calder Cup playoffs and if that was a sign of things to come for Rupe Hintz. Uh Leave it to Mike McKenna to steal my thunder here on Sportsnet. <laughs> so good, good for him. He's, he had, you know, McKenna and I, we also both grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. So we have the AHL connection, but we're both St. Louisans. So he, and he's a, he's a phenomenal man. The, you can find it on YouTube, but it was an overtime goal in game six with like eight seconds left from the slot. And I've asked, I think I've asked Mike about this. I know I've asked Ben Bishop about this. Rope hints, according to goaltenders, or, or at least those two, has a sneaky hard shot, like sneaky hard. And I think sometimes it's the speed he builds up generates momentum behind it. The fact that he's 6'3", I think, generates momentum behind it. But, I mean, he when you hear the puck hit the boards or the glass when he misses the net in practice, like it, it's a violent cannon shot with, with the velocity he puts behind it. I, I don't know if it was a sign of things to come from that goal. I was thinking about this today, though. His first game in the American League, when he came over to North America from from Finland and I was working for the AHL club, he had a goal against the Chicago Wolves where he picked up a puck at the red line and just burned the defenseman, blew right past him, and went forehand to backhand across the goalie's face and roofed it. And... Maybe that was the sign of things to come. I certainly didn't look at that goal and think, "Oh my gosh, this guy's going to be a you know a seventy-point player and a, a, a playoff run." But you watch a play like that from somebody in their first American League game coming over from Europe, and you're like, "Okay, what is that?" You know, to, to see somebody that size and that speed with with that type of lift on a on a play in tight. So there were signs immediately that that he had the the talent pool to be an NHL player. You always wonder how far can the player push it? What's the ceiling? Obviously, we're seeing it right now with, with the points he's put up in the playoffs, but Mike McKenna's going to point at that overtime goal in the American League. I'm going to point at Rope Hintz's first goal in the American League of, okay, there is clearly a skill set here that is going to be dangerous if the player stays committed and develops, and that's exactly what he did. Speaking of development and, and the, the maybe not the key to all of this, but a big part of the Dallas Stars success and why the window is still wide open despite having, you know, some older players on the roster. And I say older players, they're not really that old, but they're old by hockey terms. And, you know, you look at the evolution of Jake Ottinger and I love the stat that you put out last night on Twitter. So in, in for those that, that haven't seen it, uh, it's on Brian's Twitter and it's, you know, in 20 career playoff starts, here's the numbers games one to four, Jake Ottinger in a series has a 2.69 goals against and a 915 save percentage. Those are those are still very good numbers. But in games 5 to 7, 1.97 goals against average and a 942 save percentage. If there there are not very many money goalies in the league right now, but Jake Ottinger is absolutely near or well, I wouldn't say at the top because Andre Vasilevsky's still in the league, but he's very near the top of the league in that conversation because there's one thing that he can do, and that's playing closeout games. It, it's it's a small sample size, and and thanks for the pub on Twitter. Nice way to pump my tires. No problem, uh, anytime. But, <laughs> yeah, it's well, and, and and even that that number got skewed a little bit by by the Game Six debacle for yep. the Stars, and, and obviously that was a that was not a good night for Jake Ottinger. But 
every goalie's go- at some point it's going to catch up to you. You know, no goalie can be Superman for his entire career, especially in closeout games. But I, I just, but as we're watching Jake Ottinger, it's. I think a lot of people are leaning into the response factor because he has this. 23, two and three record this season after losses or, or whatever it's up to now there's when you interact with him on a daily basis or, or you, you kind of meet him a little bit. He's just a different bird mentally. Like for 23, 24 years old, he it's, it's weird. He just does not seem like a 24 year old and he has the most, monotone presence, you know, in his interviews and in his press conferences, sometimes, you know, on, on non-game days, he's wearing the hat with the bill really low, just above his eyes. And he just has this weird aura about him where you're like, does anything rattle this kid? Or does he ever actually think or concern himself with any of this? Or does he truly have this memory where whatever happened yesterday truly does not exist anymore in his mind. And I, I think as he continues to put forth these kinds of performances later in series, it's, it's remarkable to see this type of mindset. And, and I'll go on a, a slight tangent here. My partner, Brent Severin, when he was in the NHL, he played with Patrick Waugh and he played with Eddie Belfour. And, and he and I have both talked about this and he's explained it to me and, and, and we've both seen it like those two goalies had a bit of a mean streak in them, right? You know, we call it fire, call it passion, whatever, but like Delphore, Wah, like there's, there's a mean streak that was in some of those goalies and some of their biggest games. We haven't seen what I would call a mean streak, but there is, there's a grumpiness factor <laughs> with Jake Ottinger sometimes in games, whether, whether he's winning, whether he's losing, whether it's tied, whether it like, th- there's a little bit of a grumpiness factor that, he kind of likes to be the villain, uh, and, and I think he, he, he relishes that a little bit. It, it just seems like that, that's another one of those factors that some goalies have, some goalies don't, and you usually see it come out in those later series games. So mentally, it, it does feel like he's on a different level, especially at his age. Yeah, it's almost like if you're the opposing team, you want to get this thing done a lot quicker than five games, which doesn't often happen, and it's yeah. probably not going to happen going forward. Uh, Brian Ray well, is my guest here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Go ahead, go ahead. No, just it, he's a goaltender that can lower the margin of error, right? So yes. he basically can put the margin of error out there, and now you challenge the other goaltender or the other team to meet that margin of error. He did it to Markstrom last year against Calgary, and it took the 60 saves in overtime. And... He did it to Grubauer, and it was kind of weird the way this series went with Seattle, but, like, Grubauer was phenomenal last night in Game 7 for 35 minutes, and then Rolpe Hintz scored the goal, but Jake Ottinger maintained that margin of error, whereas Philip Grubauer gives him, you know, the high backhand on, on Wyatt Johnston, and now it's a 2 nothing lead. So it, he can almost hold the margin of error and force you to meet it or beat it. Yeah, it's very true, and... Um, and and the guy that that's been around for for all of this and and seen the the ups and downs and and gone to a a Stanley Cup final is a general manager and that's Jim Nill and and you know I don't think that Jim Nill gets a, enough credit for the roster that he's built and this is not all on Jim Nill like the scouting department has a lot to do with it but you know he's managed to keep the salary cap in check they don't have you know he didn't sign the the Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan contracts. But guess what? He hired the coach that made those two guys a lot better and made those contracts a lot more palatable. He's got Jason Robertson, Miro Heiskanen, and um, and Rupe Hintz all under contract for the next however many years under $9 million, which to have stars like that and to not have to pay them more than $9 million, there's something to be said about that. And, and I, I wonder how much of it, you know, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he's not very bombastic. He's very soft-spoken. Like, is that part of the reason why people maybe don't give Jim Nill the credit that he probably deserves? Well, there's you're, there's probably a bigger picture thing here. And also, you can add in the fact, like, Jake Gottinger is a $4 million goaltender yep. for the next three seasons as well, you know. Uh, I, I think we're going to find out because what the GM of the year voting happens after round two, right? So we're going to find out whether 
he gets recognized for this particular roster and some of the minor moves he made. I think with national recognition or award recognition or however you want to look at it, like there's, there's a good and a bad, right? If you play or you're the general manager in Dallas, for the most part, you can live your life off the ice. You know, you, you, the, the spotlight is not the hottest and the brightest on you for the entire duration of the hockey season, the way it would be in Toronto or Vancouver or Boston or New York, some of these other markets. And so that's kind of an appealing thing, I think, for a lot of people and a lot of players. And for somebody who's soft-spoken like Jim Nill, it kind of fits his personality a little bit. But the other side of that is you're not always going to be talked about. You're not always going to be the center of the NHL universe. So when you do have these successful teams or moves or seasons or different events over the course of a season, they don't always, they don't have the brightest spotlight shining on them when they happen. So some people don't always see it. I think once again, well, I think he should be a finalist for the GM of the year award. I know I cover the team on a daily basis down here, so I might be slanted a little bit in my opinion, but I think when you look at the Evgeny Dodonov move, and the Max Domi move, mm-hmm. and the decision to put to put Wyatt Johnson in Joe Pavelski's house. You, you can't tell me that that off-ice living arrangement has not affected his on-ice performance. For sure. And then you look at, and you know, it, it's for this season, but then you look at that 2017 draft and the way he and his scouting department found, you know, Robertson and Haskin and he traded up to get Ottinger and, They've got Logan Stankoven and Maverick Bork waiting in the pipeline who look like they could be – there's a lot of pedigree behind those players. Like he, he has built something here that is not a one-year wonder, but as you said, the window, despite some of the aging veterans, there's a window here they've tried to create, and the contracts and the salary cap management on top of it all is what's opened up this window. So part of it could be the market. You know, that, that he doesn't get the recognition. But I think he's okay with that. I, I really do. And and the nice thing about Dallas making it this far is now people are going to talk about it and take a deeper look at some of the things the Stars have done. They sure will. Uh, Brian, we're right up against it. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time for me today. Really yeah. appreciate it and uh, really appreciate your insight. Yeah, good to talk, guys. Thanks as always. Appreciate it. There he goes. Brian Ray, Dallas Stars host and analyst for Bally Sports. We got to get out of here. Thank you very much to everyone that joined the show. Elliot Friedman, uh, Mike Zeisberger, Jonathan Davis, and of course, Brian Ray, who you just heard from. For Jen Rolnick behind the glass, for Lance Kennedy, I'm Matt Marchese. I'll be back with you tomorrow on the Jeff Merrick Show. You've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360.